Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast presented by the Riley Decker Companies. Please do us a favor and help us change and improve lives by subscribing and giving us a rating on the platform of your choice. Thank you. We have a special guest today. I want to welcome Mr. Tom Morris. Welcome to the Underdog Podcast. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. After meeting you a few weeks ago, uh, it's an honor and a blessing to have you today. Just real quick, Tom is a senior assistant athletic director of athletic performance at Indiana University, a keynote speaker, but also uses his story, more importantly, to teach, motivate others about not giving up, to keep fighting, and to be resilient. Can't wait to get into your story. So, after uh, Cincinnati, we, we did come into town and, and, and did, get, did get the victory, but nonetheless, we are here today to work together and uh, to share your journey. We let bygones be bygones and <laughs> we move forward. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, really enjoyed meeting you, as mentioned, and as our mutual contact and one of my mentors, Jay Wilkinson. Um, shout out to Jay for, for, for connecting us. Um, you know, let me know about your story and you know, you had an accident and wanted to go back because I think it's important. I'm sure you've had to, to, to uh, talk about this and relive this multiple and many times. Um, but you share the story of the accident that you went through and what had happened now to inspire, as mentioned. Can you take us back to, you know, sharing with the audience that don't know about your accident to that Thursday, May 17th, 2012, and then we can build from there? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe I'll even give a little bit even before that, just to give a little context. You know, I, I grew up Northeast Pennsylvania, played football my entire life, you know, involved in sport ever since I was a young, um, young kid. And, and, and my whole identity was wrapped up in movement. I mean, that's just what I did. I, I love being out, um, you know, competing in football, wrestling, baseball, you name it. And, um, you know, when football was all said and done, I got into the field of strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning is this incredible field. Um, that, you know, I, I fell in love with instantly. Uh, then I also got involved in, in, in racing mountain bikes and uh, getting out and competing in, in endurance sports and just being able to kind of push myself and, and show what I was capable of, of doing. And then about nine years ago on, on that Thursday, that May 17th, you know, I'm out on this training ride, this uh, standard mountain bike training ride. And I went around this sharp corner and I just smashed into this rock. And then all of a sudden, I came, found myself somersaulting kind of head over heels through the air, instantly come up on or my head came up on uh, the ground. It smashed my head and jarred it all the way back and down that it felt like my body caught on fire. Just this impact just kind of ravaged through my body. Um, I'd somersault all the way around and I'd lay on the ground uh, motionless, not able to move, not able to to to. To, to speak, to move my arms, to move my legs. And, you know, I, the big part of that ordeal was I laid there for over three and a half hours of laying on the ground, you know, not even able to try and reach and grab my phone that sat in my back pocket, um, just laid there. And, and, you know, fortunately two riders came by at that point, uh, they called for help and the journey began and, and this new life, um, you know, I, I began trying to gain back everything that I'd lost um, and trying to get back what I what I was before, and, and be able to kind of keep keep going again. Yeah, and, and just to go back, and I was listening to some other podcasts, and 
to put in perspective, I mean, I imagine the three and a half hours, I think you were kind of in and out of, but you, you do remember a lot of it. I'm sure that felt like an eternity. You know, like you said, your body was on fire. You're trying to, you know, notify others. And then when you were able to, I think this was pretty powerful. You know, you called your wife and just said, sorry, I believe. Can you kind of talk through, you know, obviously the emotions, the events of that day and, and when, you know, your independence, as you would say, was taken away at that point. Um, but how that all kind of materialized when it came to realization. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when, when I flipped around and I landed flat on the ground, you know, I'm, I'm laying there, I'm not able to move and I can open my eyes, but you know, I instantly get this sensation to try and get off the ground. You know, anytime you get injured and you know, this as a, as a football player, like you're instantly trying to just get out of that situation and get back to a normal and I tried to get off the ground and start trying to almost like push myself and I could not budge. It was like I was locked into the ground. Like I, I, I always refer to it as almost being like suction cup to the ground. And so I'm laying there just trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. And uh, that's when I tried to get my phone and tried to grab it. And when I reached behind to grab my phone, I went to pinch it and my fingers barely moved they 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 were you could they they felt my phone but they didn't have the strength to actually grab a hold of it and actually pull it out and at that point when you realize like my legs aren't working i'm stuck to the ground and now my hands my arms my my body is not listening to me i am completely off track i am completely vulnerable to everything that's around me and i'm just stuck that point is so hard that, that that feeling is so hard to put into words because of the nature of just being kind of at the mercy of everything that's around you. And, and I laid there and laid there, you know, with the thought process going through my head of just, you know, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get out of this? What is going to happen? Would I ever go and see my, would I ever see my wife again? Would I ever see my family again? All these millions and millions of thoughts just stayed there. And only minutes would go by and they would run through that same pattern again and again and again. And, and luckily, you know, throughout a three and a half hour ordeal where the pain wasn't too bad in the beginning, all of a sudden it just kept escalating as time went on. Three and a half hours later, those two riders came by. They called for help. I get airlifted to the hospital. And that's when I saw my wife. And, and you know, Chris and I, she, we've been together since we were about, I think it was like 15 years old. So we have this long, long, you know, the, kind of the junior high, high school, college sweethearts get married. Um, so we've seen a whole bunch of things that happen into our, in our lives. And, and this time when I, when I saw her, you know, we just, we went, eye, we stared eye to eye to one another. And, and the only thing I could say to her was, I was, I was sorry, just because I could see the sadness and, and the fear that just was in her body that was that I could read right through her eyes. And the only thing I could say was, I'm sorry. And, and, and if you've ever, you did meet my wife, I mean, the strongest woman I've ever met in my life. And she's, she's came over to me and, you know, I, she gave me this big hug and she just told me everything would be all right. And, and that security of just having her by my side and, and be there to, to give me that energy and that reassurance that we're going to get through this and we're going to get through this together, you know, it just made everything start moving in that right direction. But I would go into that spinal cord surgery. Uh, they fixed the, the diagnosis was a C6, C7 uh, break, which very simply meant I, I broke my neck and I would go through that surgery. 
Um, and when I would come out of it, the doctor would hit me with the news that you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed from the chest down. Um, your all four limbs are either not working or at least strongly impaired. Um, you're you're a quadriplegic. You are you are going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Your wife is no longer just your wife. She's going to be your caregiver. She's going to be that person that is going to have um, more to do than just be that person that was by your side before. This is going to there's going to be a new level of 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 your relationship. And and what I knew at that point was that I had no independence. If you have a caregiver, you know your independence isn't what it was before. And so this the magnitude of this accident really came out and it came out over the course of about four or five days but those four or five days revealed the the the, the biggest um, maybe detriment of all was the fact that I couldn't do anything by myself but you know I talk about it all the time I remember the first time I went and grabbed a comb and I tried to comb my hair and it it was it was like it was almost impossible to hold the comb and rub the comb through my hair. And I remember the next I was trying to go and put a t-shirt on and I didn't have the balance nor the strength to actually put the t-shirt on. It was it was impossible to do. And and all of these things showed how how much I had lost and how much how dependent I was on on my wife. And and at that point, the humbling nature of what a spinal cord injury. Uh, became very real. It became very scary. It became very much this thing of, man, this isn't about walking right now. This is about trying to gain some assembly of, of life back that I once knew. Yeah. And, and, and just to put it in perspective, I mean, you were training elite athletes. You're an elite athlete yourself, right? Um, training other athletes and, and you focus on strengthening your body on, an, on a daily basis. So then all of a sudden, you lose some of that ability. And I'm sure, like I said, I've tried to mentally get through that. And, and, and what you're doing now, obviously you were able to do that and I can't wait to hear, but something powerful, Tom, I thought was a quote. I went from having the life that I could only dream about to zeroing out, but I climbed out of that hole and got back to life I had before just doing it in a different way. So let's talk the, the post accident. Um, you know, you lose the ability to, to walk. And then I, I believe you, at a certain point in time, as you had said, you didn't know the function on the top, you know, top of your body, how that was all going to work. So now you go from the state, as you had mentioned, the realization it sets in. And then what do you do now? Control. You talk about controlling the controllables. How do you overcome that? Because a lot of us, including myself, I, I don't know how I could do what you've been doing. I hope I would, but you've done something incredible. You came out and you've 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 gotten stronger. You've done things in your life that most people won't you know accomplish in their lifetime. So, can you talk about controlling the controllables and how you responded to an, an event like that? Yeah, I, and I guarantee you, you would do the same. I guarantee a guy like you, you 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 have the tools and the capability of doing that, and and so. I talk about this five days after the accident deal. That's kind of when everything, um, you know, it was, there was this level of excitement immediately after the accident, almost like, well, there's a new challenge. Let's see what's going to happen. I was, you know, I jokingly always told everybody I was going to be this success story and I was going to be the one walking on stage with Oprah, you know, arm in arm be, being this, uh, this, this picture of success and, and how I fought back from the spinal cord injury. Um, and that was my mindset. But as the days went on, Everything kept revealing itself. And five days after, you know, I had a point where um, really the big tipping point for, for me was 
I learned that I, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I, I couldn't um, I couldn't shower by myself. I literally couldn't take care of those things that we just take for granted every single day. You know, all these these things that we just do, and and that brought me to a point of I always say it was it was my rock bottom point. It was a fact of holy, this is this is heavy. This is big. How am I going to climb out of this? And um, on that fifth night, I laid him in the hospital bed, laid there, dark room, didn't want to talk to anybody. My wife crawled in bed with me. She just laid her head on my chest. And, and for the first time, I just sat there and I cried and I, and I tried to, you know, just figure out how I could possibly gain back something. How can I gain, be the husband again? How, how, how can I gain a little bit of independence back? And this quote popped in my head and you all probably heard it before because JK Rowling's was famous for saying that, but she said, uh, rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. And, um, you know, you hear these quotes and they're, they're always kind of floating around, but it's not until you're at the point where that quote means so much to you. And that quote out of nowhere just pops into my head. And I thought, you know what, this is it, man. This is, I, I cannot just, I can't be defeated by this. This can't be my, the new me. I can't, go down after I've worked 32 years of my life to, to build up a life that I was really having a lot of joy with. And so I made it at that point that night, I went through, how did I train? How did I train to be an athlete? How did I train to be a person? And one thing that I was always taught when I was young um, in athletics was control the controllables. Like, you know what, prepare, control the day, control the moment, live in the present. And I think that's the most important thing that we can do as people, especially in times like this, you know, from COVID right now to everything that we're going on in our lives. I mean, it, this isn't the easiest of times that we're living through right now. And that's, it's, it's, it's tough, but the reality is, is we got to live now in the present. We can't worry about the fear of the future. We can't worry about what about the past. If we can live now, we have some controllables in there. And so for me, that's where I lived. I just decided when I, I woke if if I was able to wake up that morning and I had breath in my lungs, I was going to try and comb my hair again. I was going to try and pinch a finger. I was going to try everything I could to just work in the moment and not worry about the what ifs in the future. And I'll be darned if that wasn't something that was a recipe for success. I mean, every day it just kept getting a little bit better and better. I didn't have an overall goal. I didn't say I was going to, I didn't stare at myself in the mirror and say, I'm going to walk. I didn't say any of that stuff. I just said, I'm going to get to a point where. I'm going to get to, you know, this is going to be the thing I'm going to be able to go as far as I willingly could get myself. Um, maybe, you know, faith God um, is going to give me the ability to get to, but I know that my efforts every day are going to get my butt up and out and work on the controllables. And um, once you know, over the time, just, I spent a year of rehab, like every day, well, six to seven days a week, going from sunup to sundown just working in rehab, just working on the finest and littlest things. And each and every day, they just kept building and building to a point where I was fortunately able to gain back that independence and start living, you know, doing things by myself. And then everything kind of came into place after that. Man, I'm, I feel like I'm ready about to run through that brick wall. I don't know if I'll make it through, but man, I'm ready to roll. You got me fired up. Um, something I, I think about when you say, you know, how important I think that's I call them knowledge nuggets. And you just laid one down that I think so significant is when and there's a guy that made a huge impact on my life. And, and obviously in Indiana, I believe yours as well is, is coach Terry Hepner. And he gave us uh, 
he would give us different things each year. And he gave us, uh, I think dog tags. It was, and said, when W period, I period N. And it was what's important now. And I think that's what I just heard from you is I think right now, and I, and I, and I fall into the trap as well, as you said, the fear of the future of the unknown and the doubt and the things you can't control. And there's a lot of that going on, right? Obviously with COVID and different things that are happening in, in the, in, in the world, but that win, can you talk upon, uh, maybe the impact cause I really brought up Terry Hepner. I know he's obviously left an in, uh, uh, impact of, of at Indiana and the Heps Rock and some of his things that you know he has left there as well. Yeah, I mean, Coach Hep, you know, this is it. Fifteen, nope, sixteen years ago, I come here, come in on an interview. Very first person I'm interviewing with is Coach Hepner, I, and I was telling you this at the game, and uh, you know, I go very first person that I'm going to meet with on campus, and everything. I I get in and I go to his office. And uh, we shake hands and, and, you know, Coach Hepner, I don't, I don't know a lot about because it it's his first day at Indiana. I do know what, it, you know, what he came from, but I had no idea what he was trying to create at Indiana. And, and I sat down in front of him and he looked at me and he said, uh, you like football? And I said, I love football. I grew up playing it. He's like, good enough for me. I like your energy. I like your attitude. Let's go get it. You got my vote. And that was the interview. And I, I sat there going, I love this guy. This is it. But to your point, like his thing was controlling the control. It was, it was being in the moment, having the right energy, having the right focus. It was having a plan and then adjust that plan. And do you remember his exact quote that he would always try to Yeah, have a plan, work the plan, plan for the unexpected. Yep. Boom. And that's it. And that's and that's it. It's the preparation, it's living in the moment and then plan for the unexpected. And and I can't tell you how many athletes that uh constantly keep quoting that. There was a there's a great speaker out there, Matt Mayberry. He's a uh, former linebacker of ours, and he this part of his uh, his story. It's a major part of his story. I mean, Coach Hepner changed this whole entire world because of this same idea of living in the present, having to plan, present or uh, prepare, prepare, keep working, but always know that like you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to keep moving forward. And uh, if I if I think about that stuff in my own daily life. That was it. That was 100. percent This is this is how I live right now. It's working my butt off to prepare everything I can. But when that plan doesn't come exactly perfect, I just adjust. I adjust. I pivot, and I try to just figure out how to keep going forward in the moment and not worrying about the future. Future. I can only control that in this present. And uh, and I think a lot of that comes from Coach Hepner. I mean, there's a million stories I could talk about him, but the impact that he's made on. Uh, this strength, strength and conditioning department and this university is something that is felt 16 years later. And it's just really, really, really special. Yeah. And you talk about legacy. I, I posted that picture in front of Hep's Rock and there were some pictures, obviously th- him throughout the stadium. And it was just amazing. All of this, the comments on Facebook, and it was just one after another of the different sayings, whether it's trust yourself, like you said, the what's important now, have a plan, work the plan, plan for the expected, either working for us or against us. You know, the the list goes on. And uh, the funny one was, I, I guess it's a podcast, he always say, well, I'm going to burn your ass. And, and uh, we love it. But he get real pissed off. We knew what he said. And that one came yep. out. I, I forgot about that one. But uh, we had it. We had I was fortunate enough to be around him for a few years before he transitioned to uh Indiana. And, and, uh, I think that's just so important, the impact and the legacy he leaves. And I feel like 
from my standpoint, you're obviously doing that in, in a grander scale because you've used diversity. I, ha- I have this as, I think the title of our episode is use diversity as an opportunity. And you say, you know, we're going to stay positive. We're going to set goals. And maybe they're little, but those are goals what they devoted to us every day. You've said stuff as, you know, we're going to get stronger. You know, your mindset, you said it's all about the attitude. Can you go through, like someone that's listening, they might say, you know what? my goal in this podcast is, is at least to impact one person. And I think you're going to impact more than just that, obviously with our platform. But if, if, if there's someone going through some significant adversity right now, and they're listening to Tom Morris, how, how can they get through that point? Is it changing an attitude? Is there anything you can do to leave a knowledge nugget to them to say, Hey, use that diversity as an opportunity to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it always comes down to your attitude. attitude. Attitude is the most powerful thing you could ever have in your arsenal to be able to combat um, adversity, discomfort, um, friction, uh, because your attitude is, will reframe the way you're viewing any of that. And I, and I talk about this. It's a, it's a mindset shift. You know, we, we traditionally always looked at adversity. We looked at struggles. We looked at friction and we always didn't want it. We didn't want to be part of it. We don't, we don't like it. We we pull away from it. But the reality is, and you know, this is a football player. Um, when we went through football practice, football practices are hard. I mean, you sat there and you got your, from your butt getting chewed for screwing up to, uh, to just the overall toughness of just trying to grind through it. But, but that made us better people that made us better, stronger. It's, it's, it's life is the very, it's very symbolic and played out as, as the way sport does. We got to go through the friction so that we could get stronger. And that's when you talk about using adversity as an opportunity. That's how we got to start looking at adversity. We got to start being able to take a second and pause, just pause, take a step back. This is happening in our life. COVID's happening. This life, this uncertainty is happening, but let's not get caught up in the fact of all the what ifs. Let's just pause in the moment right now and let's see how this possibly, let's look for the good in any given situation and reframe it in a way that we could see, hey, COVID happened, but maybe this one good thing came out of it. So I'll tell you one exercise that I think is extremely powerful is to literally, when you pause and you look at anything that is uh, uh, strong with adversity, any kind of friction, you have to verbalize out loud something good that is possibly in that. Because it's amazing to see when you think it is one thing, when you actually think it and verbalize it, it gives anything so much more power it gives so much more power to your thought process. And by verbalizing it, it gets your mind thinking of seeing things more positive. Now, now I will warn you that the negative or the, the opposite is true too. too. If, you, if you only see negative, if you're only seeing adversity as this negative, horrible thing, and then you go ahead and verbalize it, it gives it a 10 times compound effect. And then you end up seeing things, everything negative. So understand the power of verbalization, being able to really dig down, look and spot the goodness and everything. I promise you it's there. If you just really, really dig down and look, and, and I have a great analogy because a lot of people always, you, most people could, could, could kind of go, oh yeah, that is true. So first time you bought a new car, like you dig down and you, you, you've gone through your research and you decide, I want to buy a new car. I want to, um, you know, I want this, this, and this, the, the trim, the inside, the color, everything. And you go in and you buy your new car and you drive it off the lot. And the first time you drive it off the lot, you look to your right and there's the, your same darn car parked at a, a stoplight. 
he dropped down the road a little bit longer and, and there it is again. It's, it's there. And then you see it again and again and again, you start recognizing this same exact car, same trim, same everything. And it's not that everybody went out and bought the same car. It's that you're bringing attention to that, to that object, to that car. And I look at positivity as the exact same thing. When we could take that pause, we could step back, we could reframe the moment and we could look for the positive parts in it. We'll start recognizing that in each pieces of our life. And once you start recognizing that, you start living more optimistic. You start living life more positive. Research backs everything up about this, that you're more successful. You'll be, um, you'll be able to deal. You'll be much higher resilience. You'll be able to bounce back from what life throws at you. And when you're able to do that, man, there, it's, it's endless, the opportunities that you'll have. No, it's incredible. Not just a knowledge, but a tangible takeaway. So you're saying even so when there's a situation that has a negative aspect to it, you're saying not just self-talk, press pause and self-talk. You're actually saying verbalize out loud, say something positive about, you know, the situation, find a positive and actually say it out loud. Is that right? Yep. Say it, write it, put it in front of you. I mean, this is that's exactly so when I'm in a really bad situation, um, something bad happens at home. A colleague drives me nuts. There's something's going on. I have to pause. And instead of going down around that hamster wheel of negativity and only worrying about what's driving me nuts, I got to look at a positive. And I think about it and then I write it down and then I say it out loud. And when I say it out loud, if there's people around or people not around for it, it's just powerful when it comes off your lips and you could actually hear what you're saying because it gives so much energy to the fact of something positive. It turns the mind. It's And, and this isn't just my opinion. This is Tons of research shows that when you verbalize stuff, the the mindset shift to being more in a direction that you verbalize, it's it's a hundred percent true. It, it happens, and it's a way for us to live a more positive, optimistic life. Yeah, I, I um, it reminds me. I, I read a book um, by Trevor Moad, and it talked about oh. neutral thinking. And unfortunately, he passed, um, but he, recently. But he that book, to your standpoint, I started doing some self evaluation. I said all those negative things do build up right in your brain. Like, what are you engaging with? You know? And so I tried to, like, I looked at, so I needed a, like people I followed on, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Like I'm going to follow Tom Morris. I'm going to follow, we just had Chris Singleton on. I'm going to follow these people that are positive because then I started looking at some of the negative outlets and I'm like, man, that just builds up inside of you. Like, and it just, you know, it, I didn't realize the impact. I said, I want to try this exercise of, you know, unfollowing negative thoughts, negative content and focus on the positive. And it was amazing the the mood I had or the mental clarity in that, that was something, you know, I thought was very helpful as well. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and to your point on that, you know, the old phrase, you are what you eat, you know, you eat a, you eat a Big Mac, you're going to end up performing like a Big Mac. Well, this is even more true about what you consume. I mean, you could eat, you could drink, and you could do all that stuff. And physically, it'll change the body. But the impact of what you consume, what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, plays so much of a role on your own perspectives and how you view different things and how you look at any given situation. The more, the more you, the more, more negative, um, or the the maybe the more uh, less pleasant stuff you consume. That's where your mind ends up shifting to you. Again, we view what we practice is the way we are going to be. So if we're always viewing negative stuff, if we're always eating crappy foods, 
that's just the practice that we have. So you have no choice but to be that. So if you're going to be able, if you want to be positive, you want to be optimistic, you start governing, you start really regulating what you're consuming and you become aware of what you're putting in your body. You hang out with certain people, you're, you consume certain content that is on social media, and then you start speaking it and you start speaking it and positivity attracts and people want to be around it. People want to be around that optimistic uh, mind, that optimistic mindset. And, and you start this whole you pay it back. You know, you, you want to be around it and now people want to be around you. And before you know it, you're changing the world. Yeah. And, and it, it relates to this week's episode. Jay Williams, a former Duke player is on uh, ESPN. He said, A's circle around A's, you know, they're higher A's or they hang out with A's and B's want to hang out with C's. And it, it kind of reminds me of this is like, surround yourself with Tom Morris's and, and people like that, that want to impact and be positive and, and, and take the ball forward. So I think that's another great point. And, and not to keep going back to Coach Hep, but he would say the same thing, right? And, and I'm sure Tom Allen is is the same way, um, is put yourself around people that want to be elite. You know, you saw that with Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. They're, they don't want, they don't, they don't hang out with people that want to, to be negative, that want to, you know, have that. So I think those are great points. Speaking of uh, Tom Allen, he, he, uh, he was on our podcast and, and he left uh, the LEO with us, love each other. Can you talk about that? I see that everywhere as well. And I love that message. It's really simple. Elio, Elio, Leo, Leo. And you hear that. And that's made a big impact, not just obviously around Indiana, but I think across the country. Can you talk about what, what does Leo mean to you? Yeah, and I'm going to backtrack just a little bit because, it, you know, so Tom Allen comes here as a defensive coordinator um, with these alpha males, everything. And his very first thing is like, love each other. And I, and I could still remember, all the guys going like, what, what? Like, this is a guy like, and he's telling us to love each other. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the guys start feeling it like this, this thing that they maybe even never said out loud of, you know, I love you or, or that feeling of what that means. Um, but all of a sudden, even as him as a defensive coordinator, um, it start breaking down some, uh, some barriers. It started um, allowing guys to become vulnerable um, and, and to, to actually start trusting in one another and all of a sudden, our defense is rolling. I mean, it's we have great athletes, but they're they are kicking butt. And um, you know, then he takes over the head, uh, the head coaching role. That impact it spreads even 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 further. Uh, but that became this model around this place because what it allowed to say was like, love each other, man. I, I love you, and not worry about what anybody else thinks. Not worry about like this alpha anything. It was man. And I, I truly, I may have not said this to a lot of people, but like this football team, the people around this football program have no problem saying, verbalizing it again, you know, I love you, uh, but also feeling that. And that idea, that mindset is just so powerful when you're trying to create a team. It's so powerful when you're trying to create a goodness, um, to, to be kind to one another, to just really genuinely play for one another and help each other. I agree. I think it's bigger than just Indiana football and Leo. I think this is spread throughout the country. And I think this mindset is, is something that is people want to be around. I just don't think people were spreading that message. So, you know, we're so fortunate to have uh, Tom Allen and to spread this message because this message is something that has been there, but I don't think was ever brought up in a way that people wanted to jump on board with it. And right now we're living it we're living in here and it's on every single banner. It's on every single shirt. And, and it's not just about wearing it. It's about actually understanding it and feeling it. And it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. We talk, I, I told Tom this and um, 
we had the fortunate capability to talk to Coach Dylan McCullough as well, which is an incredible story. But you know, we 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 made wristbands and and uh, we talk about it in our company. You know, we have 150 folks and we've instituted LEO. You know, because at times it's just like keep it simple, like love each other, like let's just focus on you know, being kind to each other, right? Because we're going through adversity or there's high stress situations and like just that LEO, just a simple, and then just like, just love each other. Like people looked at me the first meeting and they said, what? And I said, well, we're going to listen to a podcast. We're going to talk about this because, you know, love is a sensitive thing, especially when you're talking about in, in the game of a physical game of football or in the workplace, it's, it's, it's somewhat unconventional you know, verbiage because love is, can be uncomfortable. Right. But I think if you really do want to make an impact, you gotta, you gotta truly open up and be transparent and be vulnerable. And I think that's the great thing with mental health. You're talking about the stigmas of, you know, we're talking about athletic performance and talking about the, the mental side of being positive and mental thoughts and self-talk. And I think also with love, you know, because when I went through, you know, sports and, and it just wasn't as conversed, right? It wasn't open. And I think between yourself and, and obviously Coach Allen and I'm sure the other coaches at the university and throughout the country now, now it's open, right? Now it's okay. We just saw Lane Johnson for the Philadelphia Eagles come out and he took a two-week hiatus because he needed mental. And that's great that he's willing to do that and he's willing to talk about it. And so can you kind of talk through you know, maybe once again, how the, you've seen things change a lot. You've been in college athletics for a long time. What the evolution of some of those, you know, I guess more vulnerable, more open, more, you know, dialogue around those significant, you know, initiatives. Yeah. And and you hit so many different things, Uh, you know, as far as the, the mental health side of it, as we know, is so it's just so, so important. And that's, you can't, you, you can't over, uh, you know, over say that. I mean, it's, it the mental health side of us, you know, as performance coaches here, as far as um, just leaders within an organization, tr- you know, training 18 to 20 some year olds and understanding the mental health side of it, making sure we're promoting it. It's just such an important role that we have. But I can say that I was the same way growing up to ever say, I love you. I mean, we say, I said it to my parents, but I would have never brought love into the world of football. Like we just, we just don't say that. And, uh, and, and by, by breaking down a couple of barriers, you know, the, the idea to be vulnerable uh, to someone uh, is the ultimate way to create trust. If you can be vulnerable and they, you can build this relationship up um, and have that transparency, there's a level of trust that happens that becomes more intimate than anything that you would ever feel by just, you know, keeping the walls up and letting everything become superficial. But, but what's happened by saying just love and I love you. And it's, it's allowed that to get a lot deeper. We start, we start understanding who our athletes are better, you know, for myself, um, you know, I always knew my soccer, like I, I get to train our, our soccer team, our eight time national championship soccer team. Hey, yeah. Um, but yep. Uh, but, uh, but understanding now that, you know, just the, the fact that, even if I said, you know, I love, love you guys, you know, after building a relationship up with them, um, it's not seen as anything weird. It's not seen as anything like, oh, what? It just becomes this state that, hey, another layer just went down. Now we're getting a little deeper with one another. Now we're starting to figure out some stuff a lot better and a lot more um, tangible to what's going on in everyone's life. And, and I think what it's done is it's allowed us to see a deeper side of what these athletes are going through, the stresses, the the idea of like just being a college student's hard 
being a college athlete is so much harder um, than just that student aspect to it. So layers and layers are getting opened up. Um, people are becoming more vulnerable in a good way. And, and hopefully we could keep promoting the idea that mental health is it's working on your mental health is the same as working in strength or on your strength and conditioning. It's, it's the same as working on your nutrition. It's, it's just part of the puzzle for your performance and making it not such a, a taboo where we shied away from. No, we use it because it's going to make you a better performer. It's going to make you a better athlete and it's going to keep you safer and more mentally sound with everything. And, you know, and I'll tell you a great, uh, a quick, great story. We had our um, Olympic divers and, uh, you know, every time they come back, you know, we always try to figure out, you know, who was the biggest impact and in, in, not in their lives, but in the coaching circuit and support staff wise. And, and in particular, especially to that team, the number one person they always say is their sports psychologist because they're able to, the mental side of their game, the mental side of, of what they do becomes so, so important because of the fact of performing, but also all the anxiety and everything that's going on around the sport itself and the pressure of it. And so the role of a sports psychologist to a mental health coach, to just our strength coaches and nutritionists or athletic trainers becoming more well-versed and opening up bigger lanes of, of communication and cutting down barriers has made the whole picture over these last 20 plus years come together beautifully. And I can only hope that it just, it, it, it quadruples in these next couple of years, as far as the openness to what mental health is. And we really kind of dig deep and really work to help a, a lot of athletes out. No, what, what a great um, conversation here. Cause I think something also I don't want to undermine is I think there's a lot of awareness now, obviously there needs to continue to be a lot of progress in athletics, but I think in business also, Tom, what I've seen, it's, it's like an under, uh, underserved or under, uh, estimated value to mental health, because I think a lot of times it's just, you know, do your job, like not realizing, are you right in the right mental state, right? Are you using the right, or is it mentality before reality? Are you in the right mindset to make decisions to which affect livelihoods as well? And I think that's something that's under, you know, con, you know, communicated is, is that I think the same thing that translate should translate from athletics to business and life is, is that type of awareness. Cause I see it myself when I'm not mentally, you know, and physically right. I, I I'm not the best person period. I mean, it's just simple life facts. And I think that's something we've started to talk more about is like, you know, they you say work-life balance, but I think a lot of it is, yes, that's important, but let's dive deeper. What, what is your mental state right now? Are you, you know, what's going on in your life? Like, are, are you balanced really? Right. And, and not just talk about the physical things or what's going on with your kids. Where is your mind? So anyway, I think it's, it's something I love to talk about because I think it's something that I'm trying to get better at myself. And I think it's an ongoing thing for all of us, but, uh, definitely something yeah, that I think super important. Yeah. And I, I just, I, that, that's something we could talk about for days on, because I agree with you, you know, it's, it's, it's in, in sport, you know, if we're going to have for practice, we have, we have a warm up. we have a, a, you know, some different, we, we gradually build into a day or into a practice. And then that practice gradually builds and everything kind of comes together. Then we have a cool down and then we start bringing our bodies back to rest. And then we recover and we eat and we, but in life, in business, in all this stuff, 
most of the time we're waking up late. We're usually sleep deprived. We didn't eat a good night or a good breakfast or a, uh, a good meal the night before. We wake up, usually miss out on breakfast, and then we jump into a million miles an hour, answering emails, doing all these different things all throughout the day, come home. And then on the way home, we're usually running late. We stop at Chick-fil-A, which is phenomenal. I mean, Chick-fil-A is awesome. But we, we end up doing that, um, cracking open a cold beer, pouring a glass of wine and sitting there watching the news. And then we try to get up and do the same or try and perform the next day. And if you could think about that in the world of sport, if you tried to do anything high level, but you followed that kind of pattern, you didn't warm up, you didn't wake up with a good morning practice uh, from meditation or some kind of movement, reading, just gradually building into the day, working on gradually building up your day um, to maybe some of the most creative times of your day, and then bring yourself and cool yourself back down. When you come home eating a nutritious meal, maybe it's not, you know, sitting on the couch and having a beer and consuming the news. You know, it's, it's all of these things we got to think about high achievers in business, in sport. It's, 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 it's everything. It's a holistic pattern of how you need to conduct yourself. And if you do that, you will be able to handle adversity. You will be resilient. You will have the ability to combat anything that happens in your life. But if you don't do that, your body physically, your mind mentally, it's just not able to keep up because it was never prepared to deal with that adversity. Man, if I had a mic, I guess I do have a mic. I can't drop it. That was a mic drop right there. I'm dropping my uh, my pen here. But that was, wow, we're going to have to quote that and, and slice and dice it and, and uh, definitely promote that piece because I think that is extremely powerful. And you said it in a very uh, eloquent and uh, direct way. So that is good stuff there. So, Tom, every... Uh, episode, we come up with uh, a question. And before you answer this, you have to agree to make it happen. Done. I know you believe in this. This is where I'm going to get nervous, though. So let let me reposition myself. Let's see what happens. No, you you have innate. uh, I think we have we have we've built that trust right in our in our two interactions. But the question is, is uh, who should be on on the underdog podcast and why? And you have to be able, as mentioned, to help hopefully make it happen. Oh, I like that question. Who should be on the underdog podcast? You know, there's a lot of different people that pop into my head right now. Um, I'm taking a good pause here because I, I do know there's a, there's a handful of people that I would love, uh, love for you to meet, especially in the world of, um, uh, paralysis and dealing with spinal cord injuries and, and stuff. Uh, but I think there's this, there's this young man uh, out of, uh, he's out of a little local town in, in Indianapolis. And um, when he was 13 years old, his name is uh, Colton Schwimmer. Um, when he was 13 years old, he ended up being um, involved. In, so this is just the way the story goes is uh, football games go and he's a freshman. Um, they're up, uh, they're, they're winning. So his coach decides to put him in on kickoff. Uh, he goes running down on a kickoff. He's just a little, little kid. And, uh, on his way down, uh, a guy came and nailed him, and, and he broke a C3, C4, uh, spinal cord. And so for any listeners that, that don't know what that means is the higher up the spinal cord, the, the, the neck, the worse the injury is. And this injury has left him paralyzed. Uh, from from the chest, from the neck down, and he doesn't have any use of his hands, um, and he has no use of um, any, of anything. He's he's 
he's very much um, he's very much a quadriplegic and, and he's dependent on everybody. Um, he had some stuff happen at home where he actually spent a, a, a good portion of that time um, in a nursing facility at the age of like 14 um, to 16 years old. And um, finally gets back to high school. He gets himself to graduate. Um, and that young man is about 19 years old right now. Um, he's learned how to drive again. Um, he's actually started up school, um, going to a vocational uh, school to start trying to learn a skill. And when you talk to him, he has never said a negative thing ever. He's never been, he's quiet, but he's never put any kind of negativity out there. He just kind of keeps getting up each and every day and plugging forward one day after another. And, and I think that's a testament because um, I was fortunate enough to go through this accident at 32 years of age with really a, a pretty uh, good base of life under me, you know, from the financial side of it to professional. Um, and, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to be a 13 year old boy going through something that is more severe than what I've gone through and to be able to still each and every day, keep continuing, come back, getting up, fighting and doing everything he can. So, um, yeah, and I, I would say there's a lot of people, but the, Bill Colton, man, he's a tough little dude. Yeah, no doubt. I would love to uh, connect with Colton and what a, what an inspirational story. So I can't wait to dive in. And, and like you said, it's, that's a tough, that's a tough uh, deck of cards to be dealt with. But as you mentioned, controlling what you control, using the diversity as an opportunity. And uh, quite frankly, I think, you know, you and, and Colton and others that are facing that type of adversity are impacting the world in a, in a, in a very large way and uh, inspiring thousands and hundreds of thousands of people to, uh, to max out their life. Like you said, win the day, you know, I think that's, that's something that is very simple and LEO love each other and, and win the day what's important now. So, uh, Tom really appreciate it. What, if, if someone wants to follow your, your, your body of work, um, any, anywhere they can follow you, uh, please share. Yeah. And Tom Morris performance, um, Tom Morris, excuse me, Tom Morris performance.com, uh, is my website. Um, and then on all social media handles, it's Tom Morris performance. And so, uh, by all means reach out. I'd love to, um, uh, to be able to interact with you anytime there's any kind of questions, uh, for anybody that's looking to have uh, me come and speak to their businesses. I've been I've been all over the place and I absolutely love it. It's kind of a, uh, it's, it's this coaching aspect that, that I didn't know it really existed before. You know, I spent all the time in the, in the weight room to my left here and uh, now getting out and being able to coach uh, business people, the, the young executives, the, the, the people that are trying to live their life as high performers and being able to help them through some of these challenging times, which we're all going through um, is, is hugely important to me right now. So uh, by all means, reach out. Yeah. I mean, you just dropped a tremendous amount of knowledge nuggets. So, um, yeah, you, you're, you're phenomenal. No wonder, uh, you know, everyone that recommended you the, you know, being a keynote speaker and an inspiration, um, so much that we learned today and I know our audience is thankful. So on behalf of the underdog podcast, appreciate, uh, your time and, and, uh, look forward. I know the best is ahead for you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. Leave a five-star rating and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.